Welcome to the RSP Quick Game with Mark Schofield and myself, Matt Waldman. It is week two. We survived week one, barely. I think with the help of the Manning brothers, I think they were and and selected <laughs> guests. We had a good time there. <laughs> well, I also just, I, I just wanted to give the sound of like I was opening an alcoholic beverage. But no, this is a caffeine-free Diet Coke because I think if I have any more caffeine right now, I might explode. There you go. I yeah. you know, I maybe I should go down and get that Miller High Life that's still down in my fridge right now. As you can see, I'm not a beer snob at all. So. Yeah, no, look, I mean, if it gets the job done, it gets the job done. I I am I I'm at the age where I I see people say, "Oh, you can't drink this or you shouldn't eat that or eat what you like, drink what you like." Like Yeah. I'm, whatever makes you happy. It's a free country, man. That's what yeah. I like. So, yeah. there we if go. If you like White Claws, fine. If you don't like them, fine. If you like Miller Lite, great. Like do your thing. Do your thing. That's right. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about a lot of people who did their thing or didn't yep. quite do their thing on Sunday and Monday night. Um, let's lead off with the obvious because we'll get the obvious out of the way, which is we want to ask Mark Schofield about <laughs> Mac Jones. So the Mac Jones and Tua, the division rivalry that is underway. How did they look? The era of unbridled optimism is upon us in New England, friends. You let it happen. You fools. You fools. You let it happen. No, I mean, I, I there's a lot to like about what Mac did. You you did some stuff on it. You know, you, you highlighted the play where he just took an absolute shot. And yeah, it was shades of, of Nick Bolton. Um, I, I did some stuff on him as well. I, I think there were moments in that game. Like he had a play. Uh, Derek Lawson, actually, class on Twitter, highlighted this one where it was kind of a man coverage look, and he's trying to throw Jacoby Myers, and he puts air under it. He's got to learn that look, this isn't you're not throwing a Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith against you know our, our our sisters of the childless and blindless you know poor like <laughs> those are NFL players on the other side of the field. Like it, you might think you can put air under throws and they're going to maintain separation. That's not life in the NFL. Like he's going to have to learn feel. He's going to have to learn. There are moments where he needs to dial up velocity. I, I think the arm is good enough where he could have made that throw more on a line, um, but he's going to have to learn that. But I, I think he was showing some stuff with manipulation. He was handing in the pocket well. He was running the offense well. He was moving around well. So I think, look, they, they lost, but I think there's a lot to take away from it that was very overwhelmingly, I'd say, positive. For Tua, I think he did some good things as well. He had the boneheaded moment of boneheaded moments where you almost gift Bill Belichick a win. He's got to avoid moments like that. I think him and Jalen Waddle are going to be tough to deal with for opposing defenses for the next five or 10 years. But I, I think that if he avoids that big mistake, people will say, oh man, Tua is fantastic because he made that big mistake. People are going to say, hey, well, he hasn't quite learned yet. I still think there were some positive signs. But yeah, look, as, a, as an unabashed Patriots homer, I was excited by Mac. Yeah, I was absolutely excited by what I saw from Mac Jones. He looked like the same player we saw at Alabama. And and to me, that was a positive. You know, when you consider the fact that he was able to anticipate pressure, he was able to find the open area. He did a great job of being able to, you know, throw open receivers in a, on a regular basis. He was smart with the football for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, and 
it is just what it is. What you highlighted with both Mac and Tua, Tua was more the athlete, so he leans a little bit on his athletic ability to the point that he's going to stretch a play too far, and Mac's going to feel like that he can finesse a throw here and there that he's not going to be able to do. So that was, I thought that was well stated. The follow-up I really want to add, instead of me just giving my takes that are similar to yours, is I heard during the broadcast something that I never have heard before, and I figure you probably have as a former quarterback and someone who studies this game and these, this position in depth like few others is that they said in the broadcast that he spent a good bit of his time this summer also learning the defensive playbook of the Patriots while also learning the offensive plays. And I don't remember anyone ever really covering that about a, a rookie quarterback before, much less a quarterback at all. Um, so what do you make of that point? Is that unusual? And if it, and if it isn't, why is it suddenly brought up now? I don't think it's that unusual. I mean, I, I know I read some stories about some other quarterbacks. I don't know if it was Zach Wilson. I don't know if it was just Mac Jones sitting in on, you know, other position groups. You've heard, we saw on hard knocks, Ezekiel Elliott sitting in with quarterback meetings, you know, to get that sort of deeper understanding of what they're doing. I think the, idea behind having Mac learn that defensive playbook is okay here are things that defensive structures want to do here are things that they want to try to take away and you start thinking about it more from the defensive side of the ball not just hey you know if we run this concept and they're in cover one like here's where you throw it but it's the why and if you think back remember the Josh Rosen discussion and there was a Josh Rosen discussion during his draft cycle, and it kind of gets skewed as a negative where Jim Morris said, you know, he's a millennial. He wants to understand the why. He wants to know the foundational principles of why we might do this against a certain coverage. This is that. And I, I think this is a quarterback trying to learn, okay, here's why a defense might call cover three or might call cover four or quarter, quarter, half, and here's what they're trying to take away. And so now I know what their intent is, and now I know how to deal with that when I see it. And so I think it's probably done more. I think it's it was probably part of the like broadcast CBS, like Mac Jones is a really smart football nerd, and here's how much of a smart football nerd he is. He wants to learn defense too while learning his first NFL playbook. So I think that was probably part of it. But, yeah, I mean, when I was playing, a lot of our quizzes like in training camp were just defensive. Like – draw up cover three, draw up cover four, draw up a rotation from three to two or from three to one or from two to one or whatever, like learn that stuff. And, you know, then you fill in the why around the what, so to speak. Well, that makes sense. And, and I guess the only positive that you would draw out of it, maybe at the, at the very least, then if we're going to go minimal is that he knew the offensive playbook well enough that he could for, make forays into really getting deeper into the defensive play. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, that could be it too. I mean, look again. There, he is a football nerd. We we know that, and maybe he was just ahead of the game, so to speak. We heard the reports. I don't buy it, but we heard reports that like he was teaching Cam Newton the playbook, which again, I don't buy. But there is this sort of you know narrative out there that Mac Jones is this like football savant and. You know, maybe this is more evidence of it. Yeah, we'll find out in the coming weeks. That's for sure. We'll find out in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. 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 So moving from one guy who had a good start to someone who had basically a redemption game, you could almost say, as his opening, 
was Jameis Winston. I think we talked about him before the season started, and I said, I'm not a believer. And then I walked into the church, and the, James Brown was leading the, the gospel band, and then the light shone on through the stained glass window, and I felt like J John Belushi basically doing cart cartwheels as I was yep. watching Jameis Winston because his footwork, his footwork looked like a completely different quarterback. This was someone who, when I, you know, you'd watch him at Florida State and at Tampa Bay, and it was like his body was split in half at the waist. Like the upper part of the body was like, I see everything. I've studied everything. I know what I'm supposed to do. And the bottom half of his body was like, um, what? We have a test today? Right. What, I'm, wait, I, what time is it? You know, I mean, an I NFL mean, game? What? Yeah, where are we? I thought yeah. I was just strolling through the grocery aisle. So, I mean, this was one of those deals where he was always just that far behind. And when you, when you drop back to pass and your feet are slow and they're loping, when you get pressure, you're not able to avoid pressure fast enough. You can't set fast enough, so your routes, you're not in sync with your routes. You Because you're having to compensate for you, the way that your feet move and you can't get your body under you as efficiently as you can, you're probably dipping a little lower than you should and you're probably overcompensating to the point that you might not be able to see the field as efficiently as you should be seeing it. So all these things, you know, from just the simple mechanical mechanical construct of dropping back and setting up sets set up is the tone it sets the tone for everything else you do and he looked like he looked like i'll tell you who he looked like he looked like someone who spent a year with behind drew Brees, yeah and and then find come to find out that he worked with tom house the throwing expert all all summer and all off season and all we saw was these like 80s collage training camp things with Jay Glazier. So I was right. like, whatever. I mean, no offense to Jay. Uh, he looks like he's in terrific shape and conditioning is everything too, is a big part of it too. But I've seen lots of narratives where guys work out and then, you know, we could put in flash the Michael Scott working out in the, you know, in his self-made movie with the, uh, yeah, know, but, and, won't even matter because this, the things they needed to work on most, they didn't straighten out. So Winston, to me, he has enough to believe. In. I'm a believer now that it's not maybe not a believer in his fantasy prospects this year as being like totally like, you know, a top three quarterback the way he performed, you know, with the touchdowns that he threw against a – an overheated Packers team that doesn't do well in the heat early yeah. on in the, in August. They had the same problem last year, but I'm the I'm a believer in in the change that there's substantive change, and there's a reason that we should be excited about him. I think there is. I mean, I, I think we saw structurally a different Jameis Winston, you know, and part of it we saw in the preseason that game against Jacksonville where he you know the setup set in the hallway like people try to call it when you've got everything mind hips feet down the throw and shoot to your target on time in rhythm but what stood out to me watching that game was against jacksonville it was all first read stuff first read was open it was there and he threw it 
He had to go to secondary reads in this game. And you remember when we talked about Jameis, I said, look, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I need to see him do it where he has to get to the second read, to the third read, where he's pressured. I haven't seen that yet, and until I see that, I won't believe. We saw that, the touchdown to Chris Hogan. Like, got to come off your initial read, come to the middle of the field, move around in the pocket, make that read, make that throw, box checked. I mean, it was an impressive performance. You try not to overreact wildly. This is overreaction week. That's what we do. It's after week one. But I think, yeah, I'm, I'm in on it now. I, I don't know, like you, I don't think he's going to be like top three fantasy quarterback. I think there will be a little bit of regression. Like he's not going to throw five touchdowns every game. But yeah, I'm a believer in Jameis 2.0. Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, Jawan Johnson had a nice day. Chris Hogan is a veteran receiver. Marquez Callaway had a good preseason Adam Trotman has some promise, though we have he he's been banged up. But other than Alvin Kamara, that's pretty much the proven player who of hot, of elite skill that Jameis Winston has on this team. Yeah. So there's he's gonna get put in situations like all quarterbacks to be pressed, and he's and is he going to press and try and make the big play that he shouldn't? Well, I mean, the fact that he ran as well as... Even his running was better. Like, he didn't look like a faster Byron Leftwich the way he did earlier in his career. He, The fact that he threw that ball away, you know, after scanning the width of the and depth of the field and having all the time in the world that he did. And as we saw, Tampa Bay was awful in the red zone with Jameis. You know, and a lot of that yeah. may have had to do with... a. There are a number of factors that wasn't all on Jameis, but it's certainly a good enough portion of it was. And the fact that he was efficient in the red zone this week was another positive. So, yeah, if you're a fantasy guy listening to this, then is he is he worth adding to your roster, especially if you had Ryan Fitzpatrick? Without a doubt. If you're anticipating Garoppolo or Dalton to leave and some reason you have either of them, then yes, I would I would add him over those guys. Not sure about Tua. I would even consider that, you know, yeah. as as a guy. I would put him in that range around I mean that there is a caveat with Jameis, and that's Panthers this week, Patriots, Giants, Washington, Seattle. That's yeah. a tough stretch of defenses like not great like they're not the best defenses in the league washington might have a case the giants do some good stuff defensively you know belichick's going to scheme some stuff up panthers and brian burns man that's that's a that i think that is a good defense so he's going to get tested over these next couple of weeks but then you get atlanta you get tennessee you get the eagles you get the jets like there's going to be some defenses later in the season where he might go off again. You might get on a couple of like four or five touchdown games out of down the road. Yeah, and the last thing I'll add to Winston before we move on is just that before Tampa, before he was even drafted, one of the things that was talked about about him in pre-draft interviews was that this was a guy that teammates would run off a cliff for. Yeah. Like in terms of, you know, whatever you want to say about what he did off the field or what was accused of off the field. Um, and those are serious matters that are yep. really outside my lane to be perfectly honest. So to, to me within that lane is players like playing for him, you know, now they did, there was because of that off the field stuff, they said 
he, they might want to run off a cliff for him, but we're afraid he might run off a cliff by himself. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the up and down with it. But this is looking good. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about performance because last week I did a pot a podcast about performance and how performing is different than practice. And so when we talk about the preseason, I look at the preseason as a dress rehearsal because it's not it's not really every factor that you'd have to account for in the real thing. And it's it, the pressure is different because when you go out on the field, as Ben Watson once told me, was his first game with the Patriots, he had played at George's stadium. You know, he played at Duke. He played all over the SEC. Big stadium, some bigger than the NFL for sure. Rabid fan bases. You know, if you've never been to an SEC game then and you live, and I, no offense to the Northeast because I'm from the Northeast, but if you've been to a college football game in the Northeast, you haven't been to a college football game until you come to the South. It's yeah. just a, it's a religion down here. So when you, you, you take all of that and still Ben Watson goes up to New England and his first game and he's like, I, it was way different than anything I'd ever been through. He said, it, it, he said, because you realize you're playing with grown out. He didn't say it this way, but playing with grown ass men who are paying their mortgages and supporting families with their paycheck, the the pressure you feel in the locker room and the intensity you feel in the locker room from everyone before you go out there, you just know that everyone's counting on each other not to screw up their living, you yeah. know? And that's a that's far different than rah, rah, sis, boom, bah, pay me under the table and, you know, or whatever you want to say about college football. Um, so with that in mind, I just want to know, even though, no, I know we, t we bring up Mark's experience and uh, a lot and Mark shrugs it off and says, I played at Wesleyan. It's not like I played at LSU, you know, or ever even played at LSU stadium, but at the same time, performance is performance. If you really are a self-aware person, so I want to know what it was like performing in a game compared to performing in practice from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, the lack of pressure in practice and the pressure that you feel in a game situation, it's almost like 180 degrees. Like It's just two completely different worlds. I mean, in practice, you know, you're there to learn. I mean, and I'm really sort of talking about like college football now at this point. Like, you're there to learn you're there to like get ready and there are like, yeah, you know, you have to get this stuff down. You have to figure out Hamilton zone blitz or you're going to get hurt on Saturday. You know, I always like to talk about, you know, when we meet Tuesday morning, our game plan installs, we would get, you know, the package of plays that we're going to be in and out of each playbook. We would get, you know, our get out of where if we've called 30 gut and they're in an over front and number 75 has kicked inside to nose tackle, you cannot run this play. Otherwise, Dave Cottrell, our fullback, is going to be in the hospital. Like, you have to affirmatively get out of that play. And so then you start going onto the field. Then you, you'll you start against barrels, and then you go against the scout team defensive front to, like, learn that stuff. And so, yeah, there's pressure involved. But then when you do it in a game, like, I remember, you know, my freshman year, the first live snaps I got, you know, it was – early, you know, quarterback went down. I'm suddenly on the field when I thought I was going to be just basically a redshirt kind of situation. It, there's the, 
I, my God, I cannot believe it's almost an out of body experience is what I'd sort of say. It's like, I cannot believe this is happening. Like, I know what I have to do. The training has kicked in. I have to make my calls, my checks. This is the thing that I have to do on this given play. I got to roll out and hit my fullback Dave control on the flat. But it's like somebody else is almost doing it. It's just like you're a lot, your mind is along for the ride because it's just a holy crap. It's literally like my, my first college snaps. I just remember thinking, holy crap, this is actually happening. And even my some of my big high school games, like when we play we play Peabody on a Friday night, Peabody, like the defendant champions of Eastern Mass, huge game, you know, maybe eight, nine, ten thousand people there, but it was a kind of a big deal. It was the game we were all pointed to, the game that every kid in Waltham my senior year, you know, had circled on our calendar when the schedule was announced. Oh, it's Peabody, the third game of the season. This is the big one. You know, Steve Lamazzi, he got drafted by the Red Sox, but he's going to go play quarterback at Miami. Like, this is the team to beat. These are our rivals. And I remember that first snap, and, man, it was, like, one of the fastest explosions of just, like, speed and movement and bodies and sound. And it was like you could have – I could have thought I was playing in Nebraska. Same thing. We played Everett. We get a turnover. Our, our defense gets an interception, but then the guy fumbles it. And the, the sound of that crowd, it was like, man, this we are in Lincoln, Nebraska. And even again, it's like eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 people. There is just an absolute difference between knowing, yeah, you know, if I screw this up, like maybe, you know, I look bad in practice. But when it's in front of that crowd with people counting on you, and yeah, these are high school kids or these are college kids and none of us know, we all know we're not going pro or anything like that. But you want to perform well. This is what you were brought to school to do was to win football games, even at the D3 level. Yes, it still happens. We didn't get paid under the table, of course. But, you know, a lot of us had SAT scores, myself included, where we probably didn't belong at Wesleyan, but our acceptance letter had a nice little football sticker on it. So we knew this is why we're going here. We're going here to win games. We're going here to beat Williams. We're going here to beat Amherst. You got guys counting on you. You got coaches counting on you. They're, they're livelihoods. They got mortgages to pay. They get bills to pay, and they're counting on you to perform, to put into action what they taught you during the week. Yeah, even at that small level with more people stumbling across the game because they're on their way to the library or they're on their way back home for whatever they did Friday night and you're just playing in front of that small crowd, it's still the pressure is on like anything. And that's just Division Three. Now, for Benjamin Watson to say, yeah, I played between the hedges, but now I'm at Gillette Stadium and that jump is massive, yeah. Yeah. And if you've just listened to all of that and you still don't think emotional emotion plays a role in a football game. It absolutely then, does. Like, then you don't then you think people are robots or yeah, you I mean, might if, be you might be a, a sociopath. If you wanna tell <laughs> if you wanna say to me that like momentum isn't real, like yeah, okay, like momentum like there are ebbs and flows and things like that. But this is an emotional game. And and I and I talk about emotion so much. With, with the stuff I do about quarterbacks because I played this game scared. Okay. I played this game not to fail. I played this game consistently looking over my shoulder, worried about a backup, worried about the starter who was injured. Maybe he would come back in because that happened to me. And I wasn't good as a result. Like I'm brutally honest. You can't play this game scared. You cannot hesitate in this game. If you make a mistake, you got to do it a million miles an hour. Otherwise somebody will, take your job but you will have been right to look over your shoulder this this is a, an emotional game i mean is momentum real or not i leave that up to you but man i gotta say i mentioned that play against everett we had an interception and a fumble and they got the ball right back 
Everett on the next play targeted the kid that fumbled and then went for a touchdown. So you tell me if momentum's real. Maybe at the high school level, I could buy into that certainly because, yeah, yeah, it matters. Yeah, and when you think about all of this, I mean, I think that one of the things that just is fascinating to me is you need to be, obviously, you need to have, you need to be smart to play football. You need to be intelligent to play football, especially quarterback. But you also need to have the right kind of intelligence because you can be so smart and so aware and self-aware that your self-awareness can kill you. And you just described what happened to you, Mark. Obviously, you're a very self-aware human being. And that caused that caused it to the neuroses to kick in that everyone has, you know, and or most people have. But then you have to. So you have to have the intelligence that's often associated with that self-awareness. And but at the same time, the special kind of personality that plays this game at a highest level has to be able to turn that off or not have it to an extent. You know, I'm, I'm pointing over my shoulder to that little believe sign. And if anybody listening to this or watching this is watch Ted Lasso, you know where I'm going with this. You got to be a goldfish. You got to be a goldfish. You have to have the ability to. All right. That happened. Maybe I screwed up. Maybe I didn't. But it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. And I'm, I'm moving on now. And maybe I'll have learned something for all that. But I'm not going to dwell in that moment. You know, it, it's another thing that I another thing that I often bring up. Um. Van Halen, when they did right here, right now, live, that there was a moment during, I think it was Panama, where oh, I'm blanking on the name of not David Lee Roth, the next guy, the next center. I'm oh, blanking Sammy on Hagar. Sammy Hagar. And he's talking about how they were on tour and the guys, the rest of the guys in the band were in the room next door drinking and having fun and carousing and all that fun stuff with Lord knows who. And, and Sammy was in his room by himself worried about the next show yeah. and he went into this lawn dry tribe in the middle of a song and you can find it it's it's on the right here right now album and at the end he's just like look i was so worried about tonight the future i wasn't like living in the moment i was so consumed about other stuff and worried and being neurotic i wasn't enjoying or living or doing the best that i could in that moment and it's the same kind of thing like if you find yourself dwelling on what was, you're going to fail to do what could be. Yeah. And I want to talk about all this because it sets the tone about NFL practices because we can look at Jamar Chase and Jamar Chase all summer long. The narrative was he's dropping the ball. He can't get separation. Is something wrong with him? Was he as good as we all thought he was? And you'd see people who, you know, didn't evaluate him as highly going, see, I told you, you know, they're on Twitter doing their victory laps with that. And, then you know you go fast forward to the minnesota game and jamar chase lights up the vikings um and looks like the player that many thought he was you know myself included um but chase is chase is an example to me of some of the problems of nfl practice once you put the media in the practice and fans into practice now they're an audience and now practice becomes a performance now we have media talking uh, have expecting press conferences for coaches and players to come and perform for them further to give them their what their pound of flesh basically to talk about what happened and how they did 
And so when now we're commenting and critiquing and judging how people did in a practice in a as a public event, it is now a performance. It is no longer practice. And what Mark just brought up, and this is why, you know, often I've brought this up that the NFL doesn't coach kids up the way people think coaching up is. That coaching up in most cases is about scheme and the game plan. And you can see why, because Mark just brought up the example. First, we start with the the packet of what we're going to run. So then we got to learn that. We're going to learn that by first executing with barrels. Then we're going to have people. Then we're going to have contact, a little bit of contact. Then we're going to have a walkthrough. Then we're going to go through the game. That takes a lot of time. So if you think, it's just like me playing music. I mean, it was like you get the music, you know, if you're playing in a an in a setting where there's actually written music, you know, then yeah, you get the music, you learn the music on your own, you learn your part, how it connects to other parts, and then you spend basically rehearsals working through all that to make sure that everybody can kind of have the rapport and play together and watch for the right parts and not completely derail the whole thing. Then you have a dress rehearsal and you play. But if you don't know your if you don't know your techniques at the level that you need to if you don't know certain concepts at the level that you need to, there's a lot of theory, technique, um, physical skills, both with performing as an actor, a musician, or a, an athlete that requires your own time in the shed or private lessons. And that's why the best players, and David Igono, who is a guy yep. who wrote at the RSP, who is a a defensive back at West Virginia who just called me this weekend and, and said, I'm ready to come back and start writing again. Nice. So nice. we're going to have David doing some work on first and second year players um, in the college game at the RSP. I'm looking forward to that. But he talked about that too. He said that, you know, I'll let him tell his own story, but you know, he basically echoed that same, that same concept. And so when we look at practice, and Ryan Riddle said this about the Senior Bowl. He said, those aren't real practices. Those are performances. You don't really let loose the, and take the risks that you do in the in in those practices because everyone's watching and judging whether you're a good player or not in front of scouts there. So you're not going to try and do something that you've never done before unless they're making you do it, you know? Right. And he said, so it's the same thing with, I think, NFL practice. I, you know, and I just wonder what are your thoughts about all that? Does the NFL make practice too much of a performance? You know, are we, or is this just one of those things that's just incumbent on these players to get some private lessons and some are luckier than others that they get it at starting at age eight and others don't get it until they're 20? I mean, man, there is, could probably do an entire show on this question. I mean, you honestly could. I mean, I, I think I could easily hammer away at one of my favorite bugaboos which is the sort of 24-hour media cycle right yeah it's june it's rookie mini camp bengals fans want to hear about their first round pick and so you get open access media environments at walkthroughs or at otas or whatever and what do they want to know they want to know how jamar chase looks so people are going to start charting they're going to start charting his routes drops catches whatever and it it begins the cycle and this need to fill time with content, it's a blessing because it allows people like me and you to do what we do. 
but it's a curse because it then helps to shape and create narratives that five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we might not have heard that Jamar Chase was having struggles with drops during practice, you know? But since we have access to it now and it becomes a story now, it's the entire storyline of his his first training camp. Is he struggling at the catch point? So, I mean, I, I think that's one thing. I loved Joe Burrow at the microphone sitting down after that game, after Chase walked away from the podium and his first words before he got asked a question was, I thought the guy was dropping everything. Like I, I, I loved seeing that from Burrow going to bat for yes. his guy. I mean, you know, you talk about leadership and wanted to play for somebody, walk off a cliff for somebody. Tell me Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, those guys don't want to walk off a cliff for Joe Burrow right now. Like, right. Absolutely nailed it. Um, I also think that there are some guys that are gamers. There are some guys that are just – it's practice. You know, we're talking about practice, the Iverson line. Yeah, I'll learn the stuff. I'll know what I need to do. Okay, they spin this to cover two. Now I'm running the safety splitter. I'm not staying vertical. Like, I get it. I, I, I understand it. Maybe I have the drop on Thursday. I'm not going to drop it on Sunday, Coach. And it, it might be just as simple as that. I remember wondering to the senior bowl point, wondering that about Dak Prescott. Because Prescott, if you remember senior bowl stuff, it wasn't even the stuff that he was being asked to do and he wasn't doing it or wasn't doing well. It was like simple routes on air he was missing. And I was just kind of like, I remember he missed a route and like you and Charles McDonald turned to me and I was just like, man, I, I, I don't know. Then what does he do as a rookie? What does he do Thursday night coming off an injury against Tom Brady and Tom Brady's house? Like some guys are just gamers that they'll learn it. They'll do the things they need to do, but they turn it up to that 11th notch on the, the sound machine on the, you know, amplifier when it, when the lights come on. And so, you know, I, I do think that there's this sort of tendency to overreact to practice. We have to understand that there's learning going on there in terms of installing stuff that will be done on Sunday, not how to do the stuff that you're going to be asked to do on Sunday. A lot of that these guys have to do in February and March and April to get ready for the season. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing, biggest takeaway about practice is that it's a real entity that that is dicey for folks to predict what's going to happen. It throws a whole other loop into it right now because of the fact that you just the, what we saw with what you said and what going, went on with Jamar Chase. So for as a takeaway, I would say you're going to want to look for players who are taking those training lessons. Yep. Are they are they working outside of just the practice to learn? Do we know that about them? You know, if you're really diehard, you can fish for their Instagram accounts or or their Twitter accounts to see if they're working with other people and how they're doing it, that can be a helpful thing. Knowing yep. that that it's just not a linear type of situation to know one way or the other. You know, I'm taking, you know, as I'm sharing some of my performances on, on Twitter just as a way for me to get practice at performing, you know, I'm taking bass lessons and my, and, and my teacher we laugh because he'll show me new concepts and I usually take this, have my lesson about an hour after this show is he'll show me concepts. And as I'm learning my techniques awful in the, in the practice, cause he'll go like, well, your hand placement on the neck of the, the base is like everywhere. And he's like laughing. And I'm like, that's because I'm, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like Jameis Winston at Tampa Bay. Like my head's yeah. going here, but my, but, but my hands don't know what to do. They're trailing behind. And, but after like six weeks, he's seen that because I work at it 
every time I come to my lesson and what is what I'm going to learn, everything looks technically sound once I get it. So like last week, as we're practicing, I'm looking at, I stopped and I go, have you, have you figured out by now that like, that my, that my hand placement is awful when I'm, you're showing me something that I don't know, and, but I figured it out later and he laughed. He goes, yeah, I stopped commenting on that. Cause, cause like, I know that it's gonna, I know it's gonna be fine the next week. Cause you work it out. But like right now it's just not connecting. And I'm like, totally. And that's the difference between practice and performance. I mean, if I, in you know we'll joke and say in you know 10 years when i sell enough rsps to to buy myself the cleveland browns franchise post baker mayfield that the um, i'm sorry i had to bring a that day up. that matt wants to have arrived the, yeah. sooner rather than later for yeah, a number of reasons yeah i think people are in denial but okay so i'm the i'm probably the only one in america who thinks that anymore but let's see the um the point being is that when i do Yes, I will probably close practices. I will pay the fines until they become so exorbitant because they raise the fines to get me to open them back up. And then when I do, I'm hiring Jamal Williams. Um, at that point, he'll be retired. I'm going to hire him to be the media director for the Cleveland Browns and make these donut eating, you know, buffet table scribes of our, of our, you know, of our tribe basically play rock, paper, scissors with him to answer questions whenever they ask a ridiculous question. I'm literally going to have him like literally walk up to the microphone in the middle of like the, when Joe Burrow is like, you know, in his, you know, his 17th year and, 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 you know, want to, you know, wanted to win somewhere and I've set the table for him. And when they ask him a dumb question, I'm just going to Jamal walk up and just grab the microphone and say, that was a dumb question. Um, I can't remember his name. And, you know, I, I don't want to say Mary Kay because she doesn't ask dumb questions. But the other guy. Um, Tony Grossi? Yeah, Tony Grossi. Yeah, that was a dumb question, Tony. Now we're going to have to play some rock, paper, scissors. You know? Or <laughs> right, let's hold on. Now we're going to do pin the Dale on the donkey. And yeah. then he's going to and he's going to walk over with the blindfold. And actually, um, we're going to, he'll tie Tony's hands together and, and we'll put them up against the wall. And then we'll have, we'll blindfold Mary Kay and let her pin the tail on the donkey, you know, on that one. But anyway, wow. yeah, there we go. So I, I have just, I, I have at both alienated and, um, and, in, and I guess, um, made up from that, redeem myself with Browns fans all at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Um, with that note, um, who excited you last week uh, or that was either under the radar or, or at least still under the radar maybe for other folks and might emerge at some point down the line. Um, I, I scratched down a couple of names in response to this one. I mean, I don't know if, like Tyler Lockett, I thought was fantastic. I don't think he's really an under the radar guy, but he played above and beyond against Indianapolis. I mean, you know, the first touchdown with the ball track and to track that in flight to make that adjustment. I mean, it is to catch over the shoulder is so hard to do to track and catch over the shoulder is so hard to do. In that sense, look Terry McLaurin, the catch that he had along the left sideline. That was insane. Like, my setup on Sunday is a little different than other people's. I We don't have a Sunday ticket, but my buddy who lives across the street does. And as long as the weather is nice, Mike will like, he, you know, he grilled, he, he made some, you know, some wings 
He had winds going. He had family members going over. Um, he has an outdoor setup with Sunday ticket and the bar inside with Sunday ticket. His brother was in camp with the Ravens for a while, um, played at Maryland. And so, you know, he and I were talking at coverages and stuff. And then I'm, I'm sitting there. My daughter's in my lap at the outdoor bar. We're watching the games with family and friends. McLaren makes this catch. And I pick Simone up and I put her on the next chair. And I'm like, Daddy, we'll be back in five minutes. Because I ran across the street, ran down to the office, banged out an article about it, and had to run back across the street. Like, that's my setup. I, I will watch over there and I will run across the street and write about something as soon as it happens. And so I get my steps in, I get the cardio, <laughs> I, I get the, the blood pumping. That's my Sundays in the fall. It's it's a fun little, fun little thing. But the McLaren's catch was just absurd, absurd, incredible. Um, Nelson Aguilar, I mean, I, I know it's hard to predict what the Patriots skill players are going to be putting up from a fantasy point week in and week out. But Nelson Aguilar, like the safety splitter that he ran where Mac Jones hit him, the whole shot where Mac Jones hit him along the sideline, the touchdown, the, the footwork and the feel for that. It's hard to say that, look, he's going to be Mac's go-to guy, but he might be Mac's go-to guy. Like he, he really might be. And then Jalen Hurts. Um, I, I was impressed with Jalen Hurts. I know, look, average depth of target of like, you know, two and a half inches. Like, I get it. Like, they didn't ask him to do a ton. Like, that's a game plan that, okay, I don't think I could have done it. But, I mean, I, when I feel like I could have run that offense, <laughs> like, you know it's a it's a pretty vanilla thing. But I thought he did it well. And I, I thought, you know, for mechanics, set in the foot, the feet work, the footwork, the hallway, all that stuff, I thought he looked really good. Um, who all stood out to me? I mean, I, I guess Jameis, but I don't think he's really sort of a – under the radar type player but those were some guys that stood out yeah i love it and uh, it makes me laugh to think about you with running back and forth the right <laughs> stuff now i'm gonna think not get that out of my head on sunday yeah i mean next Whenever time you see me play, I'm like i go, drop an article on sunday you yeah. know i'm like running across the street <laughs> well i will i will share my favorite version of sunday ticket when i was living in jamaica for a year because oh because well my first experience was i had sunday ticket and then we my ex had moved us out to like she worked at a ritz carlton so we i got there and we literally lived in like this gated community next to the ritz carlton where all the employees lived and it was literally right on the caribbean sea looked fantastic it was too expensive the water was bad the only place in the in the entire country where the water would be bad because it's mostly so we moved within a month but one of the things that also kind of tipped the scales was this beautiful place that we stayed in with the direct TV to get the ticket. It didn't work because we were right on the water and whenever it stormed, it oh. was like, it was awful. This was 2000. So yeah. again, you know, 20 years ago. So we ended up moving into more of like a, a regular neighborhood, you know, and in Jamaica. And we just had regular t cable TV. Well, Jamaican cable TV, maybe it's changed some since then and i hope i'm not you know i'm not spoiling it from for my islander friends here and i doubt i am but let's just say that when you when you when it's time to watch if you want to watch american football there's plenty of it on on sunday the thing is is that about once a month you need to get a pen and paper and you need to go through all the channels and see what cities of channels you actually get each month because at each month, almost to the day, 
you get a completely different channel lineup every so like one month i was watching miami the miami nbc affiliate the next month i was watching baltimore the next month after that it was minnesota the next month after that it was out in la or kansas city so i really got my own sunday ticket yeah at a very low cost um <laughs> And I just had a little notebook that I would watch yeah. with it. So anyway, guys that I was excited about last year, last week, under the radar. I'm going to go further under the radar. Michael Strachan, the rookie um, from uh, at Indianapolis, Indy, yeah. he had two third down catches where they were low throws and tight coverage, and he made both of them. That has to be a confidence booster for him and for Carson Wentz that they can rely on him. And for him being such a big guy to get low and make those plays, you don't normally see that. So yeah. I'm enthusiastic about what I saw from him there. I, You know, listen, we're going to talk about it soon enough, but Eli Mitchell looked pretty good. He looked like the... He looked like the Raheem Mostert clone in terms of style. Maybe not talent, but he, you know... He was quick into the hole, and Kyle Shanahan runs likes to run plays where they get those quick hitting backs into the crease, like Tevin Coleman. I mean, he's a sucker for Tevin Coleman, and he took, brought, basically took him in in two locations, and M Mostert is a better version of that. Eli Mitchell might turn into a better version of that. He already is fundamentally more sound than what I saw from Coleman when Coleman began his career. So that was a nice one. Brian Edwards, if you watch the Manning brothers, and we're going to get yeah. to that too, they were joking, where was he this whole game? He couldn't get open all game, but now right. in the fourth quarter in the most difficult situations, he's getting open and literally carrying this team. And then he made that big back shoulder catch. I've been on Brian Edwards pretty much all all summer and the year before that, before he, he got went down. I'm just hoping that he can figure this out, but I was impressed with what I saw at the end of the game. With, Absolutely. Without a doubt. And then, you, you know, maybe, you know, if I'm thinking about anybody else in this particular situation, see if there's anyone else that really came to mind. Yes, K.J. Osborne. K.J. Osborne, the former University of Miami wide receiver, who's yep. really more of a punt return specialist, slash athlete you you know when you're recruited as an athlete it means you were a running back but they don't know if you're big enough to or you're big enough to be a running back you're fast enough to be a receiver but you don't run routes all that great he's getting his chance because of the injuries that that the vikings are dealing with but he <coughs> he runs hard he plays hard he's stuck on special teams last year now he's getting his shot seems like this kid has worked his way into something so, you know, none of these guys, other than Brian Edwards, are you going to run out to the waiver wire to get in fantasy football? Right. But they should be on your long list of guys that you want to keep watching because something might happen there. Let's get to the 49ers situation. I know RSP folks are like, you had Trey Sermon number one. He didn't get to, he didn't even, wasn't even on the active roster. You know, when we look at the situation, um, there's a lot of possible explanations, you know, and, and we'll set it up like this. Saturday, as you know, Sunday morning, he's in an active scratch. Everybody's asking why. If you listen to the sporting news, they surmise that it has to do with the fact that Eli Mitchell and and um, Jamichael Hasty played special teams. Trey Sermon didn't. Yep. And that they had, 
they had some issues with Brandon Ayuk's health and Hammy wasn't quite there. And so they had to carry extra receivers. They already carry Trey Lance probably, you know, and they're carrying two quarterbacks into the game, extra receivers, probably extra tight ends for special team that, teams. We team got, that carries a fullback. Like, yes. Use yeah. check is a big deal. Yeah. So now, yeah, we're going to roll with the backs and play special teams. Moster's healthy. Uh-oh, Moster's not healthy again. Now we got to go to the next man up. That's the logical explanation. Now, the other explanation you're hearing, depending on the media, 99% of the media that's been in San Francisco will say, since OTAs, Trey Sermon was the number, clear number two, and splitting what reps with the ones often with Raheem Mostert, whereas Mitchell and Hasty were battling on the bubble for roster spots, basically, all the way from OTAs in May <coughs> through last week. That was the that was the talk until it seems like one percent that's going to go. I knew it all along. This was not you know while Matt Burrows and you know a couple other guys at the Athletic yeah. are like um, really because all of us are there with you. This is basically what we saw. Um, so and then there's the third thing, which is when you have cognitive dissonance of explanations of what you from what you expect you start to go into con the conspiracy theories, which is, um, you know, these guys miss curfew. Ayuk and Sermon miss curfew. Now that's possible. It, it, I just don't, I, I don't know if we can substantiate that. So all that's kind of the, the ranges that we hear. I know what I believe. I want to know what you think of that. I think it's as simple as the special teams numbers game. I mean, You've got a receiver that's banned up. You're carrying extra receivers. You're a team that runs a lot of 12 and 21 personnel, so you have fullbacks. You have tight ends that you want to bring into the game. Sermon didn't contribute on special teams as much as the other guys. And so the more you can do – I mean, what do we hear all the time? The more you can do, right? The more you can do. Um, I, I, I'm certainly not – I, I've got Trace – I've rostered Trey Sermon on a number of different teams here. Like, I'm not moving on. I'm not panicking. I think – He's going to be a part of this offense. Kyle Shanahan does so much with the running backs, with so much with 21 personnel. He's going to get opportunities. I think Mitchell is probably going to be like the, the main guy now for a lot of the things you just talked about, the run game and how it's designed and how they want that quick guy that can identify even the smallest of creases and take advantage of the opportunities there. But I don't think that Sermon's going to be like persona non grata. I just think it was a numbers game on a road game there. They had to make some decisions. I think that's all it was. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it as well. I mean, I think we may find out down the line that there was something more to it, but yeah. but you can't weigh yourself down with that. Like, because no. if you do, you're going to second guess things like talent. And at the end of the day, you all you can focus on is talent. If there turns out to be other things outside of that, like, difficulty learning the playbook not willing to play hurts having some sort of you know being late to occur for you whatever possibilities that one could imagine if those things are going on we'll find that out later but no one's going to know that on a consistent basis other than right. the team itself so yeah. the best thing you can do as a fan fantasy gm is to literally look at this and say all right, who's the most talented back? Well, you you know, some people will say Elijah Mitchell. Some people will say Trey Sermon. 
Um, I'll go with the I'll go in this case with Sermon from what I've seen. But like you said, Mitchell is the best fit. Is a maybe not the best fit, but is a very good fit for what yes. what he likes from his lead backs. Now we remember. You know, Tevin Coleman was that type of player, but then they had a, a superior player in Devonta Freeman. Yep. So if Trey Sermon gets his shot and shows that he is the guy who gets the necessary yards and a little more, even though he doesn't give you maybe the 40-yard run through a crease untouched, but he guy. can give you a lots of 12, 15-yard gains, then yeah, he'll be the guy. So I would state definitely this is an example of staying patient with this backfield because as we, as I've mentioned in a, a couple of settings already, this time last year, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was written at, in, in basically concrete that he was going to be an elite fantasy back and that he didn't score touchdowns, but that'll happen. He played, but look how great he did against Houston. And we found out right. that the Houston Texans were basically a walking dung pile on defense, you know, yeah. in terms of performance. And that they they laid down for everybody compared to what they used to be. So, yeah. you know, we we don't know yet. All that's that's basically where we're at. And that's the same thing that we'd have to say about Baltimore. This was a crazy game, fun game to watch last night. But the thing that I I looked at, and we'll start off with, you know, I'm going to have readers ask this. This is an RSP show. So how did, what'd you think about Tyson Williams would be the first thing that will be asked. And I'll say, I thought he understood the run game. Well, I thought he executed it reasonably well, especially in the first half. His touchdown run was a great example of his feel for the secondary. Once he got in through that quick, opening crease which was a big crease but it opened and closed quickly he caught the ball well he was he held on to the ball well but I thought in the second half he was very focused on holding on to the ball to the point that maybe he was a little tentative as a finisher you know in the way that maybe Damian Harris wasn't or Chris Godwin wasn't at the end of their games yeah and maybe that was something that was you know, pounded into his brain was take care of the ball, but it was to the point that he wasn't finishing as strongly as I've seen him do. Um, and then it, and then when you looked at Latavius Murray, while Murray didn't break a lot of big runs because there wasn't a lot of creases that were open in the second half, you could see Murray with the confidence to really churn those legs and hit people hard. And yeah. and Williams did take a hit head on at the end of that in the third third quarter or fourth quarter of that game where it looked pretty bad and maybe he was a little dinged up and didn't say anything to anybody because he knows what he's playing for as well yeah. um, if we're going to be real so you know I, I think we're going to see most likely a split between Williams and Murray next week if Williams gets a, continues to play with an increasing amount of confidence he could still you know be a factor in this but if both of them struggle. We may see Le'Veon Le Le Bell in two to three weeks once he really learns the ins and outs of this playbook and gets into football shape because he's been training, but they weren't. He wasn't in a training camp all yeah. summer. Yeah, so, I mean football shape, especially as a running back, especially in that offense, especially what they ask their running backs to do. It's going to take some time. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. I think Williams didn't want to. It, to go back to what I was saying earlier, Williams, it almost felt like in the second half, he was looking over his shoulder. Playing not right? to lose. Yeah. And playing not to lose the spot. And, you know, maybe that 
with week one under his belt, he moves on from that. He learns from that. He's more aggressive. He's more confident. He's playing to actually win rather than not to lose the job, not to lose the game. I mean, I, I think big picture, though, Hard not to be worried about Baltimore right now. Their offensive line hard not to awful. be worried about awful. Villanueva looked bad. Yeah. Um, they're banged up. Obviously, they're banged up on the defensive side of the ball now. You know, they were just trying to live and die by zero blitz into the end of that game. Lamar Jackson, I mean, I had the like column pre-written by the end of the fourth quarter that he had silenced the doubters with all that he did, and the NFL hasn't figured him out. And then overtime happened. And I don't want to say that the league has figured him out or anything like that. Like, I don't think you figure out Lamar Jackson. I think the question with Lamar Jackson is the throw he made to Sammy Watkins over the top late in the game. Can we see more of that, please? Like, if we see more of that, then okay. We we can continue to be really excited about Lamar Jackson. But until we do... The, the stories and the, the narrative that the league has figured them out is going to linger, even though you can't figure. I had it in the column, and I wish I could have used it. My kids are getting into Harry Potter, right? They're, they're, they're seeing the movies. They're reading the books. Quidditch, the snitch, the like little thing that's like so hard to catch and like dips and dives and hovers and all that stuff. That's what Lamar Jackson is. Like You can't catch that, so you can't figure that out. But he needs to be able to throw with more consistency. Like yeah. he, he does. And even that need some structure around it to find open space to run when it does yeah. run or when he does scramble and and find open players and when you have the thing about Baltimore is that it was the combination of their line their running backs and Lamar Jackson yeah they may be missing two out of those three factors which is yeah. going to affect the third one so and let's yeah. they they get Kansas City this week staring 0-2 in the face, and we know that 0-2 is almost a death knell. Maybe it's different now, 17-game schedule, but 0-2 has been a death knell for teams. Yeah, so this is this is going to be – this is a tough month for Baltimore, without a doubt. Yeah. So let's do some quick hitters, and let's qualify this and say we're just talking about yesterday's performance, not all year, not what they're going to be like all year, but just based on what we saw, and they made – that may change in the coming weeks, but which one, what was more likely the, the cause when I mentioned these two situations, the Bengals offensive line, or excuse me, the Bengals offense was good or the Vikings defense was bad. I I want to believe this Bengals offense. I, I kind of want to believe in it because you know, the, the fact that they're giving Joe Burrow freedom at the line of scrimmage, the fact that Chase looks like he might be a gamer, I think T. Higgins is going to be a big part of what they do. I think I'm buying the Bengals' offense. I want to buy the Bengals' offense, and I'm I'm in with you in spirit, but after seeing the Vikings' D and being a fantasy player and going, I'm getting me some Brashad Breeland like before the season. That has paid <laughs> off kind of well. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning a little more that, you know, just for – this particular game that yes, the Bengals will probably be good, but I think it was more that the Vikings D was bad. Okay. Titans offensive line bad or Arizona's D line that good. I'm going to say Arizona's D line is that good. I mean, Chandler Jones was fantastic. Tyler Lewan, you know, apologizing on the timeline. You highlighted the JJ Watt play, all the work you do during the, the weekend, you know, on the goal line where he swim, swam and stuck Derek Henry. I mean, that's a very talented group up front. I think Tennessee's offensive line will get better 
although I have a lot of concerns about that team right now. I don't think it was solely just the offensive line. I think that Arizona group is really good. I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. Throwing Zayvon Collins, Buda yeah. Baker, and Isaiah Simmons, and with what they got up front now, when Corey Peters might be your best, your worst player on the defensive line, and he's a solid veteran, that's pretty nice. All right. Dallas's offensive line good or Tampa's D overrated? I. I, I wish I could say both here because I think the offensive line played well, but I'm going to lean with the Tampa Bay defense being a bit overrated. And honestly, the answer to this one might be Kansas City's offensive line in the Super Bowl was just that bad. I mean, that, that might be the best way to put this because, you know, I, I was doing a live stream with John Ledyard for the first half of that game. We had a ton of fun. And we kept saying, look, when are they going to get pressure with four? When are they going to get pressure with four? They got to start blitzing. You know, they couldn't get home with the four guys up front. They had to go to some pressure looks. They were able to protect Prescott in those moments, and he was able to hit against some of those zero pressure looks. And so, yeah, I, I almost want to say that Kansas City's offensive line was so bad, we built up Kansas, Tampa Bay's defense to a point that they couldn't live up to. And thus, by definition, they are overrated. Yeah, exactly. And I, I would have to, I'd have to agree with you. I want to say that, Dallas's old line did a really good job of picking up those blitzes, especially without Zach Martin. And and they handled, I mean, that front, that that blitz package with Pierre Paul in the middle, Shoyinka and Barrett bookending the edges, and then yeah. you got White and <laughs> White and David in the gaps. Yeah. That's a scary look that's going to haunt people all also, year. I want to give a lot of credit. Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Yep. Okay. They didn't run the ball a ton. They did a lot of two running back stuff that I thought was really creative from Kellen Moore. But those two, particularly in pass protection, there was a play where I think it was Levante David blitzed through the and A gap. Yeah. And Elliot just stoned him. And it was like, it was literally like two mountain goats going at it. And it was a collision and a half. Yep. But he, he picked up the blitz. Pollard had one off the edge where he had to chop somebody down with a cup lock to pick up the blitz. Like, those guys did really well. So I think you always want to include them into the discussion about the offensive line because of the blitz protection and the pass pro stuff they did. I would agree. I think Dallas's own line, I think both, I'm going to say this, I might actually say they're both underrated um, in a sense because I think Tampa will figure it out. They're, the biggest issue I have with Tampa is their tackling. Their tackling yeah. has been bad. Um, yeah. Okay, last one. Eagles, Eagles offense good, Falcons D bad. I'm going to say Falcons D bad. I, I think the Eagles did well. I, I liked what Sirianni did. I liked Devonta Smith, how he looked. I think we talked about Jalen Hurts. But I think that's just a bad defense. I, if, if Philly's offense can look like this against, say, San Francisco this week, Dallas in two weeks, then I'll say, yeah, okay, it was the offense. But for now, I think it was more about this defense. Okay. I know we don't have a ton of time, so we'll, we'll, go, we'll go through this kind of the speed round here. Thoughts on Taylor Heineke? I mean, I, I – I think he's a good. It's a good thing that Washington has him. I mean, this was the sort of Plan B. I, I think he's going to move around. He's going to make some throws. You know, Patrick Graham's going to show him some stuff this weekend. I'm sure with some different sub packages. That's a good Giants defense. But we saw what Heineke can do against Tampa Bay. That defense we just got done talking about it. So it wouldn't surprise me if he steals a game here. And you know, this isn't that sort of elimination game, right? Both teams 0 and 1. Somebody's going to 0 and 2. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, that's fascinating. I can't wait to watch it a little bit more in the coming weeks. 
I, I know you watched the Mannings and on you know Monday night yep. as much of the, the analysis nation did. Um, it was, to me, it was like watching Mystery Science Theater, especially at the end with Russell Wilson as the normal dude and then Peyton yep. as the robot and Eli as the guy on the left. Eli was fan. Both the Mannings were fantastic, um, you know. And then we were watching basically Brian Edwards being the turtle flipping on the bar on the in the crazy movie. But uh, yeah, it seems to me like um, Eric Stoner said this was like what it's like a Twitch atmosphere, very yeah. very intimate in terms. And this is the way to watch the game. And I think that Gen X is kind of in the middle of this. But if we were to generalize by generations. You'd say the boomers are probably still going to be watching, you know, the the slick pre-produced my mom and dad in the 50s kind of pot, yep. you know, broadcasting we've seen for the past 50, 60, 70 years. And then, you know, I think the Xers are kind of split. The boomer want there's the boomer wannabes of, of my generation who will watch that. There's folks like me who are like, this is fun. I feel like I'm in an RSP film room. I'm, except with a much better cast of characters, yeah. you know, doing the doing the analysis. Um, I I want to watch this every week now. I can't wait to actually listen to the broadcast. How about you? Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I mean, you learned a ton. These are two really obviously. Look, the football intelligence that both Peyton and Eli have is off the charts. I mean, just off the charts. And you know, I, I thought it was. For people that want to learn, you can certainly get that. But I think the chemistry, there was some humor to it. There was it was a lot more relaxed and a lot more you're talking about one guy that's in the Hall of Fame and one guy that has a case to be in the Hall of Fame, but it was almost relatable in a sense. Because it's yeah. like, this is what we do. You know, this yeah. is what we do when we watch games. Like we talk about it, we talk about concepts, we don't get so into the like you know, narratives and storylines and all that stuff. You, you focus kind of on the field. You, you talk about plays, you, you rib each other, you take shots at each other, you roast each other. Like that's what people do when they watch games. It was relatable in that sense, but yet fascinating. And look, say what you want about Peyton Manning. Like he's good at everything he does. Like he's just good at everything he does. He, he's, he was great on Saturday night live, for example, he was great in this environment, but Eli giving it back to him. Like when, when Peyton couldn't get the helmet on and, and Eli's like, what, they couldn't find an XXXL helmet for your head. Like it's two brothers doing what they've done since they were kids. It was, yeah. it was great. It, it showed a, and I love that this some from this summer, since you've started to see Eli like in the public eye, yeah. I think he's gained a lot of like fans because yeah. instead of seeing that dumbass look that's on his face that they always like the show when he's like, what happened here? I'm, you know, as he, he threw an interception or an unfortunate ending or a fortunate ending to the game. And he still yeah. looks like he's just because he's concentrating on whatever's going on. And he has, he has basically the, the you know, resting confused face basically yep. and that's I, a lot of people have that man is he fun to listen to he, he's such a laid back friendly guy yeah but he's a not you know he's obviously got the knowledge of an nfl quarterback of a very good one and so 
this is seeing that and then seeing Peyton and seeing how he has that nervous energy. He's nervous, impatient, kind of, you know, just like his footwork in the pocket. That's kind of yeah. how I joked. It's like he he is when we the, he he basically confirmed all of that. So it's really fun to watch that chemistry. And then just the things, the little nuggets like, you know, when I had receivers, you know, they, they expected, you know, Carr expected his receiver to stop right there, rugs to stop, because what I want my receivers to do is put their hands up. When they put their hands up, I know they're they're going to settle in. If they're still moving without their hands up, if they don't have their hands up, I know they're going to continue moving. Like, just little things that you don't hear a lot of. And I like the, the general, there was a tenor of respect for the player on the yeah. field that you don't get from big broadcasts. You know, the fact that even when they're like talking about, you know, Sammy Watkins, you would have probably, first thing you would have heard about Sammy Watkins is how he can't stay healthy and his drinking problem is in the past, or he had some sort of, you, you know, had some sort of, you know, issues being consistent. Yeah. But they talk about him like he's a, a legitimate player. Not be, not that not about the way fantasy people talk about him, and I just loved that it wasn't pandering to the audience. We get enough game show host talk; we do some of that ourselves. Yeah. So, but I like that that it's like these are guy. I know these guys. I respect these guys, even if you may not, because they don't put it in the stat, you know, in the stat column. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I couldn't think of a better way to start. I absolutely game. loved it. I want them doing the Thursday night games we have for the next couple of weeks because we get Washington, New York. We get like Cincy, Jacksonville. We get a Houston game coming up. Like we get some bad games coming up. I want to see those two like breaking down like, you know, Tyrod Taylor. I want to see them like breaking down like stuff because you want to get Thursday night people to watch Thursday night football. Do it with those two. Yeah. Do it with those two. Yeah. Yeah, I, you could put, you could well maybe we won't go to that extreme stream, but I'll you're say, gonna say were you gonna say a, a Mark Schofield Wesleyan game on? I was gonna say I couldn't think of the team that you said you guys played Hamilton, yeah Hamilton, and it wasn't it wasn't even just that it was like um, <coughs> whoever the the made up team you made I was gonna say like South Dakota well, State School of yeah, you know our, Secretarial our Lady School. of the like Motherless yeah. Child or something whatever yeah, yeah. like we could have those two like match up the other day. and yeah. I would still probably enjoy watching those two that was yeah, fantastic absolutely so match the ant this is the last question here we always have a fun <coughs> last question here I want you to match the analyst to the business that they would most likely own okay first okay. one it's you me Emery Hunt Ross Tucker Cecil Lammy and Coach Bass let's start with Coach Bass is he a the owner of a dive bar burlesque club? Um, there's one in Atlanta that's famous. Um, a record right. store, vinyl for you newbies. A bail bonds business, a florist shop, a nail salon, or a junkyard. I'm gonna say Vass is your dive bar owner. I feel like Vass. He's got the lawn hair. He's living down in Florida. Like this just seems like up his alley. Um, you know, and he could, you know, he could name it like quarters or, you know, cover seven or some sort of like coverage related thing. But it's just a place. It's like the gatekeeper in Middletown, Connecticut, where I would go on Monday nights during college, where you probably didn't want to be there. I was a kid that looked like me, but I was going in there. Probably not the best environment, but I had fun anyway. So I'm going to say bass. Okay, good. Now I'm going to turn it on its ear because 
I didn't tell Mark this when I posted the questions, but now you need to match. Now you need to tell me what potential crime was Vass committing as the owner who's using this business as a front. Oh, it's... <laughs> I could get Vass in trouble here. Um, 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 um. What, what, what I'm going to say he's right. I'm saying I'm going to say he's forging autographs of sports memorabilia. That's a good a one. That's what That's I a good would one. do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That works. Okay. Yeah. It's safe. I have yeah. him. I have him for the record <laughs> store because I know he likes to do his own theme music, and he strikes me as a guy who'd be both kind of like, like in high fidelity. I don't think he'd be like Jack Black or the Quiet Dude in High Fidelity right. if you've seen that John Cusack movie. But I could see him as kind of the John Cusack character in 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 High Fidelity. He'd own that record store for me. All right. So what about Emery Hunt, Records, Emery? yeah. What? Where would you put him? I'm gonna say it's a it was a toss up between the floral shop and the nail salon, and, and, and here's why. Anybody that's seen Emery, Emery on TV, uh, on video, in person, just an immaculately dressed man. Yeah, just so well dressed, like the fits, the suits, like even if he's just wearing leisure wear, like Lad Peebles on a Thursday afternoon, the man is put together, like he's got it down, and so. I, I almost want to say floral shop because he's going to have the boutonnieres or he's going to have the little cummerbunds or whatever, like the flowers. And he's going to have that stuff set to go. Yeah, I like that one. I have him for the nail salon okay. <laughs> because okay. I could see him probably being the dude who would who gets the mani pedi type of thing going on on occasion, you know. And he's you know he's Look, you a, he's treat yourself. He treats himself, and I could see him going. This is a good business. I'll run yeah. this run this thing. So what would be the what would be the potential crime that he would commit with this place as a front? Oh man. Um, what would be the potential crime? Imported high end luxury goods, like contraband, things like that. Like things that we're not supposed to have, like before the, the Cuban embargo got lifted, like Cuban cigars, like stuff like that. I'm rolling with that. That's a great one. Yeah. That, Cause I was thinking the same thing, like what import X that's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Okay. So what about Ross Tucker? Bail bonds business. <laughs> this is the easiest one. Is, out of all of them, this is the easiest one because and it's mostly because I saw that like I think it was a draft Kings thing yeah. where he's like doing curls, and I'm like, that's a bail bondsman's ad. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's easy. And Ross, and Ross, I mean, I love Ross to death, but he yeah. is the master of the pitch. And you could just see that. Like the bail bonds business, you could see Ross on the bus bench, like you know, yeah. for bail bonds. And yeah, the also... bus bench right across the street from the county courthouse. And because like I've been there and I've seen those ads. Yes. Yeah. And I'm gonna say this, and I think everyone knows this. And again, Ross, I, I I hope to have Ross on the show again, even after I say this. I think that the the person would see him. He's got that everyday dude kind of way that he talks. You know, and I can relate because I think we both sound a little bit like meatheads on occasion when the way we talk about stuff. But Ross is a very, very intelligent man. And it comes through even the way that mix. You know, there's some people who are highly articulate, but not very intelligent. And there are and Ross is articulate, but Ross has that kind of every man kind of way of presenting things. And I could just see him having a conversation with a criminal or someone who's been charged. 
and kind of nicely saying, look, and look, I'm a nice guy. We're going to get this done, but you better not skip town. Yeah. That's all if I've you got skip to down, say. I'm going to hunt you down. I will <laughs> exactly. be there. He may bust moment. down your door and then yeah. go, it's daddy soda time. You know, yeah. but it, it, you know, <laughs> you got anything in the fridge before we go, you know, and have a conversation about beers and white claw with you, you know, after he has you handcuffed to the, to the, to the, the railing of your, uh, uh, you know, of your stairs, but you know, before you guys leave, but yeah, I like that. So what about Cecil Lammy? Um, I'm going to go nail salon there. I could see that. And I, it's really because I, I have fits for the other two that are just in my <laughs> mind so good. So by default, Cecil went to the nail salon. Okay. I'm going to put, I, I think probably for this one, I've got left the bail bonds business. No, that's Ross for sure. I've got the the florist shop and the junkyard. Yeah. Um, and the burlesque club, don't I? Yeah. You I have the dive that. bar, the florist oh. shop, and the junkyard. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the junkyard. And okay. Because Cecil has a wide range of interests. He's a he's a car dude. I could see how when you operate a junkyard. You could get car parts. And the thing is, and we didn't talk about what crime Ross would be committing under the the guise of his bail bond business. I'd say extortionist. I think Ross, no one would ever get, but he'd be able to back that up. That's my yep. take is that yeah, he would I'm be doing that. extortion. Um, I'm with that. Yeah. But then with a very nice one, but yeah, he'd be in an Elmo Leonard, Elmore Leonard movie probably as an extortionist that you'd like. Um, the Junkyard Cecil for sure, and it would be operating a chop shop probably, you, you know, behind that. Just because Cecil would, I, I just see he worked out on a farm. I could see him working out on a vast amount of space, tending to lots of different things that are going on there. So the junkyard, while it would be a well-run junkyard, it wouldn't be a, a an absolute crazy mess. But I could see him like doing that, and he was a machinist, so I could see him tinkering a lot. Okay, yeah, yeah, you know a little better than I do. I mean, I, I like I said, I went with nail salon by default for because of the other two. All right, well, who? All right, it's between you and me now. Yep. So, what did you, you put get, yourself for? You? What did I put myself for? The junkyard. The junkyard. Okay. Yeah. Why is that? Mostly because a like my garage right now is a hodgepodge of just like old tools and woodworking stuff and wood scraps and all these things. And, you know, I, I built, I I've already got what I'm going to be working on over the next couple of weeks, but I'm going to be building for the outside. So I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be the junkyard guy, but it's going to be a front for importing PS fives and new Xboxes and, and selling them to friends. See, I like that. I can totally yeah. see you doing that. Yep. And that makes sense. I still had you at the florist. Because, you know, mainly because I thought it was calming. It was something that, you know, you seem to be pretty good with, you know, obviously you like to cook, but also yep. you seem to, you know, I could see you getting into the whole thing of like maybe gardening or knowing a little bit more about these plants. And I could just see you kind of running that in a way where that would be cool. But then on the side, yeah, there, there's got to be something going on there. I would say most likely you would... <coughs> Most likely, I I would say that you're you're the front for a business where that you keep um, stolen goods for jewel thieves, and <laughs> and 
and and and like you know or or you're the person who like does the does the pat uh, the phony passport photographs for people and that's and doctors me. i can up. see that yeah so that's well, why I, I had you as the record store which i mean the, the whole music thing and i couldn't decide if it was a front for you know fraudulent tickets to venues <laughs> like you know to try to like get around the ticket masters of the world yeah i, I thought that might be stick something you might do to stick it to the man yeah or maybe just a front for a, a medicinal medicinal marijuana growery. <laughs> Those are the two. I couldn't decide which was which. Well, but. I haven't hired Bloom yet, so it's probably going to be <laughs> the, the ticket master on that front. Um, I would say it probably would be that. And considering that the the one thing that I used to do when I was a kid and steal, and I and I would when I would when I would um, shoplift, I was shoplifting empty bottles and selling them back to the store for recycling to get money to buy candy then i could see how i'd have some really screwed up idea of how to do things like that i i put me for the dive bar burlesque club mainly because i worked in a call center as a manager and basically that's basically the similar type of environment that goes on yep. there is that most of the employees you'd have in a college town who um that is underemployed at times and you know, and you get a wide range of people that go through there. It's like a way station for lost souls. So I spent 15 years basically running operations for those type of environments. So I, I'd be very comfortable running a dive bar burlesque club for sure. Breaking go. up fights, dealing with yep. people, slicing your tires, throwing through things through your windows, bomb threats, people shooting stuff through windows. And that didn't even have to do with stuff that happened at work um during the hours that i was right. there so yeah there, there you have it we you know as you can tell both mark and i are very thankful to have new jobs <laughs> to be able to do what we do yeah do what we do and do that so yeah the fact that i've you know the fact that trey sermon didn't start this week you know oh well i think oh, i'm well. okay in the right i've got my training already yep. so um we'll we'll see what happens next week stay tuned we certainly enjoyed it and uh, thank you again for listening to everything. By the RSP. By the RSP. Check out Mark's fantastic works. Ghost throws, man. Check that stuff out on Twitter. In addition to Bleeding Green and to Pat's Pulpit, TD Wire, um, him and John Ledyard doing the show yeah. that they do. We're going right. to do. We're going to do the entire game: Bucks, Pats, in, in Week Four Sunday Night Football. We're going to live stream. Do he's he's doing the Jim Nance roll. I'm doing the Tony Romo roll. Um, it, it was a ton of fun to try to do that for a night. So we're going to do it for the entire game. It's going to be a blast. That is fantastic. Well, if you if you need Chris Farley, let me know. We'll do. We can we can figure out something at some point as long as it isn't on a Sunday. But maybe I'll skip a Thursday one one night we and go. do that. All go. right. 